Teamwork podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we try and see if we can go um, behind the thoughts that animate the actions of those who create the arts. Uh, sounds a little uh, pretentious, does it not? <laughs> that was the idea. Uh, but essentially, it's as simple as uh, trying to figure out um, uh, the motivation. And uh, uh, she has motivated uh, a lot of thoughts and a variety of uh, emotion. And now there's a book out. It's called Insatiable, My Hunger for Life, which explains pretty much what Shobha Day's life is all about. Uh, a year leading up to the 75th and uh, you remain as feisty. <laughs> uh, to quote the oft-repeated and very cliched um, advertising uh, line, Aapki Twacha Karaz. The nation wants to know, of course. The nation wants to know, no, no, no. It's uh, uh, just something that if you're born into the right gene pool, then you're blessed. I was born into a Maharashtrian, middle-class Maharashtrian family. And uh, well, this is how we all looked. And uh, my father, who was close to 100 when he passed, was uh, still a striking person and uh, all there, mentally, physically, in every which way. I don't know about his Raz. It could have been Pond's Cold Cream, which is certainly mine. <laughs> um, uh, there's, of course, uh, you know, as you said, the middle class family and the furious flapping of the wings uh, to take flight. Uh, that is also an inspiration to others. Uh, you want to take us through that journey a little? Well, I was born into a bureaucratic middle class Saraswat Brahmin family with all the implications of those labels. So it was conservative but progressive because, uh, for example, my parents, my mother was a homemaker. Uh, we, there were siblings, there were two sisters and a brother, but there was at no point did I feel in any sense discriminated against A, being the youngest child and being the third daughter in a family with limited resources. Because if you're an honest bureaucrat, the operative word being honest, then of course your resources are limited and four hungry children to feed but the same educational opportunity is given to all of us uh, and there's no question that um, uh, you know at the dining table my brother would get the uh, the largest portion of any meal because he was the boy of the family or my father would be served first and get even larger portions so i grew up just feeling extremely equal equal and i continue to feel that way because that's how i was raised that's how I'm raising my six children and I hope they are raising their children. I have seven grandchildren. But that is essentially the message that uh, the equality is something you take entirely and totally for granted or should. And if you're not being, uh, if you don't have access to asserting yourself early enough, do it at the first given opportunity and claim that equality because it's a it's a birthright. It's it's your right to be considered equal and to behave as if the world was equal when it clearly isn't. The the fires of the of the air that insatiable hunger seem to have been. Oh yes, oh yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, there are also um, uh, the three P's that you have promised in the writing of the book, uh, and these are not location, location, location. So you want to tell us about the three P's? Well, the three P's are pretentious, pedantic, and there's one more P, right? <laughs> I forgot. What is it? Yes, uh, pretentious, pedantic, pompous. Pompous. <laughs> uh, because most writers, you get to a certain stage in your life and. Uh, there's a sense of self-importance, a very exaggerated sense of who you are. And as I keep reminding even younger writers, the world is not going to stop spinning because you've written a book. 
it's not as if you've invented penicillin or a, a you know a covid vaccine or something so get a grip on yourself i mean keep those perspectives you are doing what you love which is i'm assuming you love writing and that's why i write and uh, of course you hope for success of course you hope that you'll get a lot of readers to read your book but to imagine an exaggerated sense of who you are in the overall scheme of things uh, is just something i find dreadful i would hate to be that dreadful person <laughs> and i would hate to be giving the words of wisdom and gyan because even at 75 i'm still searching for answers i'm as much of a child as i was restless curious impatient adventurous all of that so, and i hope that never goes uh, on the one hand of course uh, there are all the positive um, uh, you know allusions to to pedantry that you have uh, so wonderfully embraced and on on the other there are uh, intimate parties with amir khan and <laughs> and uh, uh, deathbed <laughs> confessions with uh, with mf hussain that's that, that, those are lovely two two lovely worlds to uh, sort of uh, you know have to spend life in well it's an occupational hazard <laughs> and a very pleasant one i might add living in a city like mumbai you cannot not be associated with uh, for example the movie stars i was editing india's first uh, movie magazine fan magazine i mean which turns 55 this next weekend by the way i was the founder editor so you can calculate so movies were very much a part of my early formative years growing up as a as a journalist and some of the relationships i retain and i respect the others like i mentioned in the book there's no such thing called friendship in showbiz uh, you cannot expect to be friends with movie stars they don't expect it and you'd be a big fool to imagine that a professional relationship can ever transcend into something else which is more meaningful or deeper or any of that but amir is an exception he's very much a uh, a uh, thinking world a uh, world i mean the world interests him not just his world a uh, most movie stars live in that little a uh, bubble they they live in a little they they're like living in oysters with the shell still on but ma'am was it difficult to burst? you you seem to have burst quite a few of those bubbles uh, with the work that she did was that a difficult decision it wasn't a decision it's what i wanted i mean that's how i wrote that's mm -hmm. what how i wrote 55 years ago and that's pretty much my voice and mm -hmm. my approach to writing i'm not there uh as a pr person for anyone sure. um, i don't run a pr agency i have no reason to be writing profiles unless i believe in what i am writing it's it's uh, uh my obligation to my readers not to the person i'm interviewing so are there two distinct uh, shobha days the one that uh, of course treats uh, you know uh, these movie stars etc as uh, as social beings and and interacts with them socially and then the one who writes with uh, the pure objectivity of a of a journalist i mean is there hesitation are there hesitations while you're uh, reconciling these two no if you if you ever hesitate about your own truths you shouldn't be a journalist at all or mm. you shouldn't be doing interviews if you cannot trust your own assessments if you cannot put yourself on the line and say this is what i believe i feel i observed i saw uh, etc you could be very wrong i have been very wrong in the past in how i may have looked at someone or or even written about some person uh, be woman enough later in life to say well i was wrong uh, and you know i i got it totally wrong at the time most of us don't get 
that second chance to explain or even don't want it because we are sitting there feeling so self-congratulatory. And that's the other thing I feel about writers. There's too much self-obsession. There's too much of, uh, uh, look at me, I'm, I'm so special. No, we are not. We're just another class of professionals doing what we do the best we can. That's about it. So the self-congratulatory mode of most writers gets on my nerves. And uh, I really do believe in saying it like it is. I've been at the receiving end of not just saying it like it is, but much worse. It goes with the territory. You can't have a thin skin and be in this business. Then, you know, you could do something else, like become a chartered accountant or a dentist or something like that. But <laughs> if you choose to be this, uh, yeah. then it goes with all that. Though journalism, of course, uh, sometimes now does feel like pulling teeth. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, but you know, at a point when uh, uh, when film journalism wasn't even considered journalism, you uh, yeah. uh, you worked really, really hard to give it, get it the respect. Do you think uh, uh, that has met with success? I didn't work hard at it at all. At all. Neither was I aiming at respect. I was <laughs> aiming at selling the damn magazine. I was the editor of. So I was thinking of the publisher and his obligation uh, each time we put out, but it was a sellout from the word go. Each, each time we had to double the print run. But my salary stayed the same, <laughs> which was very pathetic. But there was no, no question of trying to make it respectable. It's just that India was in a bit, it was in denial for a while. Uh, even though India was and still remains Bollywood obsessed and Bollywood centric and I see Bollywood as a very very important subculture that tells us a lot about ourselves. Our movies, however crazy they may appear to the outside world, even to ourselves, each movie, I mean the even a, a Govinda film is telling us something. Why are we responding to it? Why are we looking at Govinda so many years later, re-looking at his early films and uh, calling him iconic. Uh, there has to be a reason why we are connecting. So I don't take movies lightly, but uh, I was actually entertaining uh, my readers, not aiming for respectability at all. I'm not respectability <laughs> obsessed, you may have noticed. It doesn't really matter to me. There's also this thing about, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, the responsibility uh, that is expected of uh, the movie stars uh, yeah. in that sense. I mean, uh, the famous example of Meryl Streep standing up and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Twitter storm <laughs> sure. where we yeah. tend to live half our life, uh, of our lives. Yes. What are your views on, on that, man? Well, every actor is, it's not obligatory for an actor to be an activist. And I think we place a huge amount of social responsibility on people with a mass following whether they're sports stars or, um, or actors, that they, they are compelled to express an opinion or engage in something which may have zero interest to them. I think it's very unfair. But having said that, what I would ideally like to see is actors standing up for actors when their colleagues are being in some way uh, harassed by the authorities or targeted by the authorities I wish there was more unity in standing up for one another because at the end of the day, they're part of the same industry. And if they're going after Shah Rukh Khan today and trying to stop Patan from uh, releasing or they're targeting whosoever, it, Amir Khan, for what he said earlier, a few years sure. earlier, and they made sure, or they, I, I don't know who they are, but <laughs> uh, 
the, that the film never did get a chance to get off the ground is Lal Singh Chadda. It was finished before it would even start. So systematic state targeting or the establishment targeting movie stars because of their uh, popularity and appeal or punishing them if they refuse to play footsie with the administration or if they refuse to, uh, for example, campaign for a certain political party during elections and then to go after them either with income tax raids or like in Shah Rukh Khan's case, uh, picking up his son on drug charges when it took years to establish that there were no drugs on, on, on Aryan. That if the colleagues keep quiet, then I have very little respect for the top stars who don't have uh, the spine to stand up for a colleague. But this, um, as you said, this, this, this punitive nature of the blowback, uh, yes. uh, does that have an effect on the way you write now? Is, is that a factor that you take into account, second guessing? No, because I am quite proud of my sturdy spine. <laughs> I have always relied on it. And I've paid the price. Uh, I've been uh, targeted over and over again. I've been under police protection for two and a half years. I get trolled. I get death threats and rape threats routinely. But uh, I'll still go on writing the way I do. And I'll continue to speak up when I believe. Uh, what I'm saying has some relevance and it matters. And I speak up on behalf of citizens. I'm not speaking as an individual, speaking for myself. If I feel strongly about something, no force on earth can silence me. So you do believe in the responsibility of the arts? Would, would I be right? Most you? definitely. Yeah. Most definitely I do. Uh, uh, but what about the, um, uh, the fulfilling of that responsibility? Do you think that's uh, happening enough? Not just in the movies, I mean. Uh, yes. Uh, well, across the board, a festival like this uh, it, in itself is a huge statement. I mean, JLF, a big shout out to all of you who are behind this incredible platform that you're providing for free thought, free expression, for debate and dissent. And uh, it's very inclusive. It's not uh, that they're hand-picked voices. Uh, and the narrative is not uh, a one-sided narrative, which is anti-establishment. It's all sorts of voices from across the world and across India. A lot of lit fests are, are facing enormous pressure, not just of funding of people who are pulling out because they don't believe in freedom of expression. They also believe that they will be targeted if they support the arts. And uh, a lot of lit fests are being forced by the establishment to submit a list of invited writers and then deciding whether or not uh, they allow the lit fest to happen. The word allow in itself is, um, is anti-democracy. Uh, I hate the idea of anyone taking a position where they can allow or not allow uh, anything in the arts to, to take place as JLF is taking place. The, uh, during your session, I was uh, I was around and uh, I heard two or three people say, oh, she's talking about sex. Oh gosh, <laughs> how lovely. I hope more people talk about sex. I, uh, I, yeah. I hope so as well. There's also, uh, you know, a, a whole lot of uh, food allusions in the in the way that you've, uh, you've written the book. Food allusions? Yeah. There's, like erotic? There's a lot of, uh, no, as in, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, meals that are involved in the, I, I don't know how, how, how to... Uh, better put it but the, there's a lot of associations with food in the but of course i mean food is a metaphor for so many things and the hunger that i talk about in the title is many kinds of hungers it's not just about being uh, obsessed with food which indeed i am the whole family is it's about savoring life and it's 
multiple tastes and it's like a huge, I, I think I've called it a food court, the book, <laughs> with, with all the various flavors and tastes and dishes and, and shared meals are a wonderful way to bond, whether it's with family or with friends or even strangers. So food is very important. It's something so basic, so primal. And you also, cannot ignore it. Also nuance, no? I mean, the, the, the fact is that we are so obsessed with the blacks and the whites that we're missing out on the fact that there are the greys and the and the shades in between. Do you think uh, Do you think we're losing out on that on that juice of life a little? We've, oh we've gosh, I that. hope not. No, no, no. The juice of life is too precious. It's the Amrit. We cannot ever forget what it is that keeps all of us going. Sometimes we're too busy perhaps in in... I wouldn't say mundane matters, but in just survival sometimes. Oh. And uh, COVID really brought that home very powerfully, that even our second breath is a second guess, whether we'll even be able to take that. And it was a wake-up call for all of us, because for the first time in the history of the world of humanity, we were all equal at exactly the same time, not even the world wars achieved what a virus did Absolutely. and it it certainly changed me forever i'm sure it changed all of us in some way or the other it was uh, the most single the single most significant uh, moment in my life which made me really take stock in a way that i was forced to take stock a lot of us were uh, we were in in closed spaces often with people we detested and had no choice <laughs> Uh, there were divorce rates were soaring, and I had divorce lawyers uh, calling me fra uh, up frantically to say that, uh, especially ladies, were phoning to ask, uh, aren't there uh, courts, family courts that are doing virtual divorces <laughs> because uh, over Zoom? Because you know uh, we might end up murdering one another. It was that bad. So uh, COVID was, uh, if we we must look at it in retrospect now that we believe we are out of it, though we may not be. But it taught us many hard lessons about life and uh, we shouldn't ever uh, neglect those. Talking about the juice of life, um, you know, uh, juicy details. Um, uh, which ones have you enjoyed, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, writing about the most? The, the kind of juicy details that first you rubbed your hands together and said, yeah, this is what I want to talk about. Oh. Please grow up. <laughs> Juicy details. I mean, I mean, salacious details. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Were you ever with Shahrukh Khan when he was actually not yours? No, 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 not mine. Of course not. Uh, though why not? No, I'm talking <laughs> precisely. So why not? No, no, I'm talking about the kind of vicarious thrills one gets uh, feeding off celebrity lives particularly the sex lives of very famous people. We always want to know, are they really doing it? Are they doing it with so-and-so? Is the, is the bonking one hears about? Is it part of uh, the mythology about movie stars? Does it really happen? If so, where, how? So it's kind of, um, it's kind of natural to gossip about that. But uh, surely, I mean, at some stage one does move on. Uh, okay. Does one move on? <laughs> then, uh, I have, asking uh, you? Uh, I have moved on, <laughs> fortunately. But you're still asking. Uh, that is because uh, uh, my objectivity as, <laughs> as an interviewer takes of over course. my subjective choices. I, I believe uh, you. I believe you. <laughs> I, I'm sure you do. But uh, uh, this is absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, tell us uh, tell us about uh, uh, why this time to choose uh, as a book to, to celebrate the 75th year, uh, to, uh, to tell your story uh, one more time in a more cohesive way. 
No, no, not it? at all. I, I did uh, a memoir at 50. I did one at 60. I did exactly. one at 70. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to be around at 80. And 75, I like the number. It looks good. I like the contours. <laughs> and it's not a traditional memoir at all. It doesn't go back to 75 years. That would be deathly dull. I mean, who cares how a 75-year-old woman has lived, where she was born, where she went to school. So it's, it's, an un, it's a different structure to a memoir. It's exactly one year of my life leading up to the year age 75. It's 12 months. It's uh, 365 days. It's 300 pages and 75 years compressed <laughs> all together in a wonderful book, I think. I loved and I really enjoyed writing it. It was very, uh, what shall I say, stream of consciousness on one level, cathartic, um, uh, really fun to write because it was flowing so naturally. It was almost written in real time, which is unusual, that my publishers and editors loved it is a huge plus. Absolutely. It's a big plus. <laughs> of course. Uh, and of course, uh, finally, uh, you know, we are living in a world of listicles. Uh, uh, Sorry, someone needs to stop talking in the back. Thank you. Uh, you know, finally, uh, uh, this is a world of listicles and there are lots of people who've been seduced by the, uh, uh, by the, by the word. So what would your uh, three points be to uh, three to five points, whatever you choose, uh, to people who are taking their first steps as being writers? Write, 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 write. Five words. No reading? There's a, no, there's, well, one takes it for granted that they have spent their formative years reading the classics because there really are no shortcuts. But even for those who have not had that privilege, I did have that privilege because my father invested in books and not in gizmos. So I was surrounded by the classics and uh, no one was ever forced to read them, but they were just there. They became your friends. But there are a lot of people who have not had that privilege. To them, I would just say, right, it doesn't matter how you do it, what, whether your grammar is perfect or not. It's the imagination and it's the thoughts that you're going to be sharing, not grammar. I mean, a spell check and a good editor will fix that. Sure. But no one in the world can give you that original idea which makes for an original book. That's all your own. And that's what you should be looking for. Not mimic someone else's style, not try and be someone else. Just find your own voice and stick to it. That's important. Find your own voice, stick to it. Original ideas, original thoughts. If you want to know about those, Insatiable, My Hunger for Life. That's the book that uh, Shobha Day has written. And of Thank course, uh, given us food for thought as well to chew on. Uh, Ma'am, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much you. for your time. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. This, of course, has been the Teamwork Arts Podcast. Uh, follow us on social media to see what we'll be doing next. But uh, more importantly, it's a good idea to think about what you just heard. That's always a lovely way to begin. Thank you for watching. <laughs>